The following is a live podcast recorded at the Disruptor Series Live at TBWA Shiat Day, New York. Thank you all for coming here. My name is Rob Schwartz. I'm the CEO of uh, this fine uh, agency. And uh, welcome to our Disruptor Series Live. Give it up. Uh, I think what's great about tonight is that this is the Disruptor Series at the Disruption Company, and we have the father of disruption here, so I'll give it up for Jean-Marie Drew. Round of applause for Jean-Marie. Okay, so before we bring up our guest of honor, let me just brag about him just a little bit, uh, just to give you a little context. Now, I think a lot of us are here, I know I am, a lot of us are here because of Jean-Marie. We've really been inspired by him. Uh, and what he's done. So here's, here's how it goes. Back in the 1980s, he founded a great agency called BDDP. He was one of the Ds, uh, which was bought by Omnicom and then merged with TBWA. He's going to talk more about that in a bit. In the early 1990s, Jean-Marie coined the term disruption uh, in the business context. He was the CEO of TBWA from January 2001 through 2008. He's since been our chairman. He was entered into the Advertising Hall of Fame in 2017 and all the while, he's been keeping very busy writing some business books. This is his sixth one? Seven. Seven? <laughs> Typo. <laughs> so thank you for disruption. Jean-Marie, thank you for being here. And thank you all for being part of the disruptive series. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. That's good. That's good. So Jean-Marie, I mean, uh, why this book and, and, and why now? Listen, uh, <laughs> as you say, we are the disruption company, aren't mm -hmm. we? So um, anything that's related to disruption, I'm inter interested in. And it's been a long time I wanted to celebrate disruptive leaders. So you're going to tell me, what do you mean by a disruptive leader? So my own definition of that is those guys, CEOs or whatever, who had a huge influence on business, such an influence that it goes far beyond the borders of their company. You know, they shape the business the way it is today. So it could be obvious ones like uh, Bezos or, mm. or Steve Jobs, for instance, but some Chinese guys, some French guys, a lady from HR from, uh, from Netflix, uh, you know, Patty McCord, you know, so, or Ariana Huffington, you know, so many different people. And all these people, what they've done, they've, I think they've made business, what, more interesting, mm. more productive, mm. more uh, attractive. Yeah. So that's why I say to all these people, thank you for disrupting. Yeah, that's the good. story, as simple as that. That's good. Now, the title is kind of interesting. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, the title. It could be a very long story. So, <laughs> so the story that two or three years ago, I started to write another book. And the idea behind that book is very different. It was uh, in a world where everything changes. What is it that doesn't change? The environment, if you want. And that book was quite not far from being finished, and then we had a meeting with Troy and you know, a lot of people from the agency in Shanghai last February, uh, a year ago. And uh, we had that lady Coriander, she's a great planner from LA, and she made a presentation to us about what we should do with disruption in our company. And she said we should reconnect the dots, you know, that it's our thing and we didn't do it well enough. So she came with a plan. And then uh, at the end of the presentation, she had you know, six or seven different ideas. Mm. And she said, we need a, an overarching theme, an umbrella mm. thing or whatever. And you know, she came with an idea, which we all thought was very smart, because mm. we were fed up with all these people using disruption. But instead of complaining, she reversed the thing and said, thank you for it. She disrupted disruption. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we all loved it. Mm. And Troy 
we are just close to each other, said to me, hey, you get a title for your book. And I loved it, except that in the plane back from Shanghai, I realized that it had nothing to do with the previous book. <laughs> it's a long flight, though. You could rewrite it. So absolutely. Yeah. So the story is that, uh, you know, uh, it's a story. You know, I threw up the previous book. Mm. And what's interesting is that the title, inspired, inspired too much very well, gave me the idea mm. of the content, mm. which is to celebrate all these guys, you see. So that's, uh, I owe everything to Coriander. And Troy. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what I said on the, on the book to him. But I mean, I mean, it's better. I mean, yeah. <laughs> all right. So before we get any further, you're the father of disruption. We've got T-shirts to live up to. We've got signs to live up to. What's your definition of this thing? What's the definition of disruption? And I think what's great too is that we have a lot of uh, people who've just joined the agency. We've got uh, interns here that just started yesterday. So now you can actually hear disruption from the man who coined it, so. If I knew the answer to that, but I mean, <laughs> you have the Oxford Dictionary definition of disruption, which is an interruption of the way a process, a system, or an event usually works. An interruption. Mm. So disruption is first an interruption. The way I like to describe it is a little different. It, it's uh, by contradiction to something. For me, is disruptive or disruption is everything or anything which is not incremental. Mm. So in business, very often innovation and all that stuff is incremental. We'll come back to that. I'm pretty sure. You know, people are doing things step by step progressively. Disruption is about making a leap into something you don't know, into something totally new. So you can have a disruptive, a disruptive business model, you can have a disruptive uh, idea, a disruptive strategy. And when these things happen, at the end of the day, what you've done is a disruption. Mm. That's pretty so, good. We, I think we have to tweak some slides. We have a pitch coming up. That's good. So, I mean, everything which is not incremental, it's, it's not so smart to define something in my opposition, mm. but that's the simplest way of putting it. Yeah. Well, I think that idea of not incremental, being quantum, being a leap, a leap is yes. a really important word. Absolutely. I think that's great. Now, now, this book, I mean, you've written about some of the world's great entrepreneurs, as you mentioned, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos. You write about Oprah, Ariana Huffington. Uh, you know, one question I had for you is, who was the biggest surprise? In, in the book? Yeah. Uh, uh, by far, hmm. a guy that many of you might not know, I guess, is the, is the CEO of a company called Hire. You know Hire is a very big Chinese company. Chinese. They are number one worldwide today uh, in white goods, I mean fridge and, uh, mm. and washing machines and stuff like that, ahead of Whirlpool or electronics in Europe. So it's a very big company, very successful. The guy used to be a right guard in 68, you know, in the cultural revolution. Mm. So he had no training at all in terms of how to run a company. Mm. So. What he says is that he said he has learned how to run a company reading business books, American business books, <laughs> which is funny. But then he said that in the last 10 years, I had nothing you know, really inspiring. Mm. So uh, he did it by himself, he's been thinking by himself. And he's one of these guys who says, if you don't disrupt yourself, uh, some other people will disrupt you. I mean, mm. it's, uh, I mean, everybody's saying that, but he really did it. Yeah. So he totally disrupted the organization of his company three times. Mm to a level which is mind-boggling. So today, they have 80,000 people. He has created 2,600 teams between 15 and 25 people, so it's mm. totally decentralized. Mm. 
I mean, it's a very strange organization. All these teams are in charge of their PNL, and you want to decentralize to a degree that you've never seen in the Western countries. So he's done that, and then after having done that, he said to himself, well, I don't need any middle management anymore. So it's not very funny to say, but he got rid of 10,000 people in one day, only in China you could do that, but it's totally decentralized. Mm. Then to, to come to the key point, which shows how deep it is, he has recommended to the head of all these groups, which, by the way, are elected by the other guys, he has recommended to them to go and to talk to uh, venture capital firms, you know, private banking, so that they could fund their ideas. So can you imagine a brand man at PNG or Unilever would go to a bank and say, I need some money to launch that stuff? It's, it's really very innovative in terms of organization, and it happened already 200 times. So what I write in the book about that, I don't want to elaborate too much, is I think China is very interesting in many different ways, obviously, but when we think about innovation on this side of the, uh, of the world, we think in terms of products, services, business models, mm. not so much in terms of organization. Mm. And uh, when you look at the way Chinese companies are organized, and this one especially, mm. you can see that many, many very insightful and different ways of thinking about the way you should be organized mm. in the collective thing uh, could happen. So Zhang Women is the yeah. name of the man. Wow. And by the way, don't forget that in Chinese, Zhang is the uh, family name and women is the, you know, the, the first name. So it's just the uh, okay, small point. So it's not women's zone, it's G-T-K. Yeah. Good yeah. to know. <laughs> and did, did you feel that uh, he was the most disruptive out of all of them? Well, I have not convinced you with what I just said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> can you imagine? No, 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 because I think... Uh, because there is another way of putting it. He wants everyone, the 60 or 70,000 people, one way or the other, to be in contact with the consumer. Yeah. He calls that zero distance with the customer. Mm. And that's what happened in this company. So it's a very different organization. So obviously, if you talk about Steve Jobs or Bezos, mm. I mean, they are very disruptive. I'm sure you're going to discuss that later on. But you asked me mm. which one was the most, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, I was astonished when I read yeah. about this guy. That's good. Well, you mentioned Steve Jobs. I want you to tell everybody about your lunch with Steve Jobs when, he's, when he said to you, well, you, you tell the story. You really don't want me to? I think it's not. I think they'll, they'll like the story. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, <laughs> we are in uh, 03, and we had a session in LA, and I was with Lee, and there was a meeting with Steve Jobs, so we had lunch after. So it was the first, I was introduced to Steve Jobs that day, and we had lunch, we were eight people, and there was Steve Jobs was there, I was there, and there was one person between the two of us, so we were not so far away. And I have to tell you something before, which is a little personal, mm. which is, I don't know, you say that in English, in French, we say esprit de l'escalier, the spirit of the staircase, when you have, you know, when you are very bad in terms of having a good repartee, you know, you mm. understand what I'm talking I'm very bad, you know. I'm awful. Every time, after the meeting, I say, shit, I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still looking today. You know, I've published some books. I don't like the title. I'm still looking for the title today. I have a book that has been, okay. So it, it's, it's always after, you see. Yeah. So your brains are going very fast, you know. So here I am, we sit, 
is what is looking at me, is glancing at me, mm -hmm. watching me. And you know, he could be aggressive, he had that reputation, it could be sometimes a little mean. So I could see it coming. <laughs> and your brains are going so fast that what I just told you was in my brain. I said, he's going to say something very intrusive or aggressive, and I will be stupid, I will not know what to answer. And it's exactly what happened. <laughs> because he said, he looked at me like that, two seconds, three seconds, four seconds, silent. And then he said, how can you be French? <laughs> <laughs> so I have no idea what I answer. I'm, I'm sure it's stupid. Yeah? But then, you know, Esprit de l'Essai, after I've been thinking about it, and I wanted to find an answer, even if it was too late. And I've been asking many people, and nobody could find an answer. And years have been passing by, and I still wanted to find it. what should I have say, which is totally stupid. But until the day when somebody finds a good answer, it was only three years ago, so it took what, 12 years ago. And the answer was, uh, I'm going to try to do it with you. So, hey, how can you be French? Look! <laughs> you have to know, you have to know that the person who gave me that idea, 12 years too late, was Betsy, mm -hmm. Rob's wife. <laughs> thank you for, thank you for the name check. It's a great story. So, so, well, speaking of French, you know, back back to the book. Do you find that there are certain cultures, like you mentioned, uh, this Chinese company? Are there certain cultures that are more prone to disruption, and maybe on the flip side, certain cultures that you know are not sort of you know uh, open to disruption? Is there is there a cultural thing? I'm not so sure about that because you have to avoid this kind of. Uh I guess generalization, but uh, you can maybe find a fantastic disruptive thinker in uh, Slovenia, you know, mm -hmm. where only two million people, but some people there are very smart. Right. So, but if you ask me, I, I would say the following, you know, um, I'm not so sure you get so many of them in the Western countries, with mm -hmm. the exception of California and Silicon mm -hmm. Valley, you see them seriously. Mm -hmm. And if, if you want to have a typology of countries, mm -hmm. I would say, uh, I would make maybe two or three groups. The first one would be countries like uh, South Africa, Brazil, or Australia, they have a short history, they have no complex, you know, they mm -hmm. are not shy. So because of that, they are more open to disruptive thinking, mm -hmm. I believe, that's one. The second one is China, mm -hmm. for an obvious reason, which is the size. Because, you know, there, there was somebody the other, the other day in, uh, in Business Week who said, you know, for every company we have in America, we got 10 in, uh, yeah. 10 in, in China. So they, she said, we have to reiterate very fast. But, but just by the f that fact, you know, just by chance, you know, they're going to have disruptive thinking. And last but not least, and you know these guys, some people are very disruptive for a very simple reason, which, are, you know, we see that in TBWA, but from uh, in the business world at large, it's true as well, is that people from Scandinavia mm. and from uh, uh, Finland especially. Yeah. So when you ask them the reason why they are so good in the you know, digital and new technology and also, they have a very funny answer, but that's their answer, all of them. They say it's because Six months of the year, we have 12 hours at night, mm. so we are so bored that we have nothing to do to try to invent new things. I don't know if it's true, but that's their explanation. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. All right, so of all the disruption books you've written, what do you rank this one? Is this one your favorite? What, what do you think? I'm the publisher's here. I don't want that to be, you know, <laughs> put any pressure on you. Well, uh, every time you write a book, you feel the last one is the best one. Mm. So, because, okay. I, I'm not sure. I would still believe, like you, that 
maybe the best one or the least mm. bad one, or the, let's say the best <laughs> one, okay, was the first one, Destruction, you've been talking about, Richard. And you know, it was successful, it's been translated in, uh, I don't know, any, many, many languages and so on, and it's been the basis of everything. Mm. Now, having said that, um, and by the way, something you didn't say, it was the first business book ever published by Wiley. You don't know that, I'm pretty sure. I did that. Okay. And thank you for the four of you for being here tonight. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, but the, 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 the thing I like about this book is mm. two things. The first one is that description started a long time ago as a very, not now, but as a methodology of way of thinking about advertising. Then we moved to marketing. Then I try and move to product. And so that's why we've done that book on innovation some years ago. I know it's about business, so I guess it's a way to talk about disruption at the highest level possible, mm. to give to disruption the biggest scope you could think mm. of. And the other thing I like about this book, and maybe it's going to become the, the one I prefer, is that it's about these people and the way they think, mm. but I've been hiding myself here and there in the book. So in the introduction of some chapters or in the conclusion of some other chapters, mm. I said what I think myself, you know. As a, yeah. And so you won't see it if I te don't tell you. Because, mm. But if you add all these things all together, it's everything I've been thinking about, you know, after 30 or 40 or 50 years in mm. business. So I've been able to put in that book all the things I believe myself. So oh. that's why I like it. Oh, good. All right. I like that inside track. Now, what do you say to people, because sometimes we'll hear this in a competitive pitch that, oh, well, disruption today is the convention. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? I really believe that the, the world at large and the business world has never needed disruption more than today. So when people say it's something of the past, or it's okay. So I have to tell you two or three stories to make it clear. The story I told you this morning. And you will wonder why I'm telling you that story, but you will see at the end. There are two young Colombian guys who have invented a way to transform plastic bags in bricks. Mm. So you can build a house very fast, it's very cheap, it's very solid. So doing that, they do three things at the same time. Because of that, the ladies who are taking the bags on the floor, you know, everywhere, they have a salary, not a big one, but they have a salary. Then, because we take the plastic bags to a small degree, obviously, but we start contributing a little to, you know, cleaning up the planet or the ocean. And third, because it's very cheap, people will be able to have cheap houses and more people mm. will have their own houses. So it's very beautiful. Mm. This is very disruptive. I'll give you another example. Some people have discovered a way to extract the greenhouse emissions from the atmosphere and to turn it into uh, solid methane, mm. so solid, yeah, yeah. which is not polluting. Mm. So all these things are extremely disruptive and they're going to help us on the environmental side. You have another side which is social. You got 4 billion people on the planet who are living with less than $1,500 a year. So you have to find new solutions. So PNG and Unilever are working to find ways to build products or do products which are less than one dollar. Danon has created a yogurt from Bangladesh. The price of that yogurt gives to the children 30% of, of what they need. Protein. 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 And it's for 0.07 cents. Mm. So this, you can't do that incrementally with what you have. You have to totally disrupt. So I'm telling you that because I think this option is very important to help 
you know, thinking disruptively to help us in all the big challenges of the planet. But I'd say to you, I'm going to be a little long, it's not only on the social environmental side, it's on the business side yeah. as well. And there is something I have in that book which I think is very important to understand because it is totally counterintuitive. There is a study from the MIT that shows that the productivity, productivity of R&D, of research, mm -hmm. in the last 10 years, in America, and I'm sure the same in the world, in America, has decreased mm. by 5.3% a year on the average. Mm. It's totally counterintuitive. But there is something else called the vitality index, which is revenue coming from new products and services. It's going down and down and down. Mm. So why? You say, I can't understand. We see innovation everywhere. Why? Because the innovations are coming from the internet companies, internet bond companies, and from the tech companies. But all the other traditional companies, mm. they don't innovate enough. And coming back to what I said at the beginning, 95% of the innovation they do is incremental. Mm. They work you know, to increase their market share and not to build a new market. And, and the R&D people are working on things they already know. Mm. So it's very important for the industries, all of them, to understand that they have to do disruption as well. Because it, I, want to, I don't want to be too long. There are many studies have proven the following. You need incremental innovation short term to sustain your business short term. Mm -hmm. But you need sometimes, you know, every five years or ten years to come with disruptive things to be sure that you ensure the survival of your company long term. Yeah. Okay. So you need both. Yeah, yeah. So having said that, talking about environment, about social things and about business, mm. I really believe that you never needed disruption more than today. Mm. Great. Very good. All right, good. Well, this is the point in the show. We talked a little bit about your journey. How you got here? 50 so. years. <laughs> <laughs> Next year. So w before we go to any sort of uh, you know biographical stuff, I had always heard that you came up with disruption because you you, know, you just loved advertising. So maybe just take us back to just just that moment where you had this need, and maybe it's as you know you said earlier because you're French, you had to analyze something that you love. Just take us back to the moment where you said, hey. This is a thing happening. This, the way the disruption started? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's very simple. I've been very lucky in my business life because I started as a young account executive in an agency that became such after, and I worked on PNG and so on. And uh, after, I don't know, six weeks in the business, I talked to my boss. Mm. And I, said, I asked him a question, which was the following. I said, Alan, can you tell me uh, what's the most important part in my job? And I was an, an assistant, mm. so I, I was expecting him to say, to tell me something like, uh, well, you have to be sure that you respect the schedule and the budget and things like that. And he said, oh, he said, you know, there's only one thing important, the brief. I said, what do you mean? The brief that you're going to make to the creative. I said, can we explain more? Mm. And he said, listen, it's, very si it's so simple. He said to me, if the brief is good, maybe you will have a good campaign, not sure. If the brief is bad, you won't have a good campaign. So the brief is the most important mm. thing. And even said, I will always remember, at that time we were paid on a commission business. You see, if the campaign is very good, the client will use it two or three or four years, so we will not develop creative, so we're going to make a lot of money. So in my mind, I've been in that business for three weeks or six weeks, and he put in my mind a direct relationship between the briefing, which means planning, if you mm -hmm. want, and profit. Mm. And. Uh, so I've been very lucky, you see. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking about that, uh, you know, a lot. And, uh, uh, and disruption in one way or the other is uh, the one of the end result of that of that first meeting. Mm -hmm. So to talk about disruption itself, yeah, please. The, it, it was born in, in a different way, you know. We um, 
we started our agency in 84 in Paris and uh, without any modesty, we have to say it was very successful, so we grew very fast. So many companies would come to us and we, we were overloaded by the work. And so when they wanted us to pitch, we said, we have no time. But we said, but then you know what you could do? Give us your brand, which is in very bad shape. Mm. We work together during six months. If you don't like it, you leave us, but we don't have time to pitch. So, so that's what happened. So many clients gave us brands with no future or very bad. And so we had to come with very uh, intrusive or different strategies, uh, risky, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, after some years about that, one of my partners said, Jean-Marie, we have to have a philosophy. And uh, I don't like, you know, methodologies and philosophy. Mm. I'm supposed to be with this project. I don't like it so much. Mm. So I, I said, I have to find something uh, which is not too narrow. So. so what we say in terms of philosophy in French, we say strategy de rupture, strategy of ruptures. And when I came to New York, we had, a, we, had we were working with Wales mm. in the time. We had a discussion, what do we stand for? I explained that, they loved it. Mm. Uh, but they say you can't say rupture for obvious reasons. And they came with different words. I can't remember the other ones. Mm. And they said, there is a good one, disruption, but don't use it, it's too negative. Mm. So, because we're crazy, yeah. it was negative, we just decided for it, and we went for it. <laughs> Many clients called me at the time, saying, uh, what you try to do is very good, but this name, are you crazy? Mm. I mean, but at that time, as you know, nobody was using that word, uh, very little mm. in the uh, everyday vocabulary, mm. and not at all in business. Mm. So that's why we've been able to, as you know, to trademark the world. So here we are, it's like Fritsch or Kelly, you know, we, we have a world which is uh, protected by copyright and mm. uh, trademarks, right? And uh, we cannot sue six billion people, you know? So it's, <laughs> it's used everywhere. So that's the story of the way it happened. Very good. And so you mentioned that you were in New York. So you worked with some legends, you worked with Mary Wells yes. uh, from Wells Rich Green. I mean, maybe talk a little bit about your relationship with, with uh, one of the great icons uh, in the business. Uh, she was supposed to be uh, very charming. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but she was extremely tough. Mm. So she was a great creative and a great businesswoman. So on the creative side, she was a writer at Doyle Dane in the 60s, at you know, the flamboyant years, so at the time when they were doing uh, 80s and uh, Volkswagen and all that. So she was very well known, and she started the agency uh, when she was 70. And uh, at Wells, which win, they have done a campaign that you are all much too young to know, but that are very well known at the time for Branif airplanes. Mm -hmm. she, you, know, you have to understand the, the end of the plane plane. The, the, uh, the end of the plane plane. Mm -hmm. the, the industry, uh, airline industry was very rigid. So she came with the idea of painting all the planes, which now is, doesn't look so crazy at the time. It's mm -hmm. totally crazy. The hostess was, were dressed by Gucci. You know, so, so she did a great campaign from Benson and Hage and mm -hmm. so on, from Alcacelzer. Mm -hmm. On Alcacelzer, she had the idea. You know, when you, when you buy an Alcacelzer, you have to buy two. Mm -hmm. Before, it was only one. Mm -hmm. And she told the client, you know, sell two, because people will say with two, it's going to be more effective, mm -hmm. and they, they want, to, they want to, it's the problem to be solved mm -hmm. as fast as possible. So the business grew by 50% in a year. You know. She was amazing. She probably the line first, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, and yeah. then said, do two, yeah. and that doubled the business. Could be. No, <laughs> it didn't double. The story is only 50% in one year or two. So she was the first lady ever to be in the cover magazine of, on the cover of Fortune. Mm -hmm. She made a fortune herself. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... We decided because she wanted to. She didn't want to sell to Americans. She was, you know, she she she, she was jealous of the other agencies. Mm. So, whatever story. So 
we bought the company. Mm. Uh, it was a good idea. Mm. But the price was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so we could not reimburse. So mm. the banks could, took control of our company, and that lasted four or five years, pure nightmare. Then one day, uh, I took a plane, I went to see uh, Bruce Crawford that I knew before, and I met John Wren, and I said, why don't you buy us back from, uh, from the banks? And they say it's a good idea, and uh, they merged us, and, and we still the real. So at that time, I was very sad. Mm. But now, 20 years after, you know, resilience or whatever you call it, it's interesting because things are bad, and then if, if you keep on, they are turning very positively because today is the best thing that happened in my life. Because without that, I would not be here, mm. I would not live mm. with you, I would not work with Troy, and I'm not saying that to be nice. You know, it, 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 it's been a fantastic mm. journey, as you yeah. said, and I would not have not leave, you know. So I've lost my company. And 20 years after, I had the best life possible. <laughs> Good to know. Now, before Lee, you met Jay Shiat. Maybe briefly tell us about uh, well, we, Jay. Uh, yeah, yeah. We we met Jay. You know, there was no internet at that time. So I mean, you would uh, you would uh, discover the campaigns of the great agency of the world at Cannes, for instance. So uh, you know, so I used to look at what Shiat was doing in Cannes, and uh, early on, I think it's '85. Jay realized that in terms of new business, we were doing like that. So he called my partner, Buddha, and myself, said, why don't you come to LA and uh, tell us the way you do new business? It's a fact we had good tricks at the time. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> anyway, so, um, so we had that presentation. Laurie Kutz was there mm -hmm. at the time. And, uh, and Jay, after, you know, he's very fast, he used to say, you know what, let's merge. <laughs> that was it. Let, 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 let's, or after two meetings maybe, but uh, let's do a network altogether. So we started working on it. And then we realized something that Jay had sold his agency to all the hombres. So the agency had a huge debt. So had we merged, we would have had no money at all to create a network. So it could not happen. So we were very sad. It didn't happen. We, 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 but we stay in touch. And I used to meet him when I was going to New York. He would tell me, don't go to my hotel, and he would, I would be in his house downtown. He was a very nice man. But the most important thing for me is the following. I've been a student uh, of China. It's interesting because I had no idea that one day we would come together. I was a student, really, of, of China Day Advertising. Mm -hmm. We are a very creative agency in Paris, but Paris is Paris, you know? I mean, LA is LA, so... <laughs> so so, um, so I remember I knew all these campaigns. So the first Nike commercial mm. before they went to Widen with yeah. Carlos. You know, when I was in high school, I always kept coming second. And it's, for me, it was the first brand mm. commercial, only other brand that I've ever seen in my life. It, it looks crazy today, but and the one I love, uh, I love too, is Reebok. You know, the mm. the, the, the Let You Be You campaign. Be you. With, <laughs> with the imitation is a commercial suicide and all that stuff. So I knew Drexel Burnham. You know, mm. and, and for instance, at the end of the Drexel Burnham commercial, you have a scroll like in the 1984. Mm -hmm. You know, scroll. It looks stupid because it's pure execution. But when you have a scroll like that, it liberates you to have a big idea before, and then you have the facts in the scroll. So, mm -hmm. right. so it's a good format. Mm -hmm. you know, you should not. But we've never done that before. Mm -hmm. And I came back with that. And the best, by far, campaign we've done in my company in France at that time was for the Norman insurance company. Mm -hmm. And because I've seen the scroll, it's, it, it looks stupid. Like we, we could build a campaign in a very, very uh, flamboyant way. So, so I mean, so I was a student of, yeah. uh, of Chaya Day, and, and, uh, and I became friend with Lee at that time. So Tell us about so, uh, your relationship with Lee. 
What can I say about Lee? You know, everything has been said about Lee. He's a, he's a living legend. He's an inspiring guy for the industry. You know, Steve Jobs says he's the best guy in the advertising industry by far. Okay. So the only fact that, and for a celebration some time ago, Lee had to make a speech about myself, or he volunteered for that, which is fantastic. For mm. And he said, well, I know, but when he said it, you know, it was big for me. He said, Java is my close partner and a real friend. So I knew, but when he said it, it's different. And to, to, to say it differently, when I was a student, I would never have imagined that I would write seven books, not even one. <laughs> I would never have imagined that uh, I would become CEO uh, with a, a US company headquartered in New York with my beautiful French accent. You know, so I, I still wonder, I, it, oh, anyway. <laughs> but more than anything else, I would never have imagined that it could be so close to such a guy. Because this guy is Lee Clow, he's uncomparable, he's the, I mean, uh, it's been a privilege. And uh, thank you for asking me, because it's a way for me to say that. But obviously, in the many decades I've been in that business, if there is one thing above everything, mm. it's a relationship with Lee. Mm. And, is and there by the way, we've been talking about tennis this afternoon. Because, because you know, yeah, he's crazy well, about tennis myself as well, so we exchange emails, <laughs> SMS. And so. That's good. Yeah. Is there one thing that maybe he taught you? Is there something you know that stuck with you? You know, working with him, something that you know people here could use. Well, I mean, I mean, there are many things. Obviously, the, um, there is one thing that he always says, but it's it's easy to say, but uh, it's difficult to do, and he always done it himself, which is very simple: be brave. Mm. I mean, he's the brightest man, he's really brave. Okay. So, I mean, it's important in our business, you know. Second thing, you that attention to details. Mm. You could say, it's not so important. Yes, it is important. But our business is a craft, mm. and it has to remain a craft. So, if you have a great idea, if it's not well executed, it's a shame. Mm -hmm. So, as you know, you pay attention to every detail, every word, every picture, every pixel, everything. And it's not micromanagement. It's just, mm. you know, pure. But the most important one, if you ask me, it's going to be difficult for the young people here to imagine that, but we talk about brand ideas, don't we? Mm. Before 2000, we would never say that. We would talk about camping ideas. Mm. But the expression, brand ideas, didn't exist. Mm. And if it does exist, maybe the first one, the, the guy is the most responsible for that is Lee. Mm. Lee believes more than anybody else in big brand ideas. He says something one day that could be misunderstood, but he, which I really believe. He said one day, Big ideas win, good ads don't. And when you think of it, shift, uh, impossible is nothing, think different, and today, you know, get your head, win from within, or Rogers, the answer company, those are big ideas. And if you, are, if you give me one minute and a half, I think this is extremely important, because what's happening with digital? Because of data, because of the technology and everything, 99% of what we do today, and that's totally irrelevant, by the way, is to drive transactions and to promote sales. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we do, as you know, thousands and thousands of very specific messages for very narrow targets. Mm -hmm. We do that. Yeah. So that's what we should do. I'm not saying we should not do that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when you do that, if you don't pay attention, very fast you can have a fragmented experience and a diluted image. So at the same time you do all these things, you have to have as an overarching idea that informs everything you do, a big brand idea. Mm -hmm. And when you have one, you know, 
Steve Jobs used to talk about things different. The CEO of, uh, of, of Adidas about impossible is nothing. Uh, Doug's rule from Paul Michaels from Marx on the goal used to say shift, as you know. In a, so when the CEOs of our company are taking the words we've been using for them, I'm not saying we invented anything. We don't invent. We just Lee is fantastic to express in two or three words the essence of a brand. So when you do that for a client, I think we do the best we can do. And I want to add to that something else. So that's one thing. Now go on the business side, two more minutes, mm. go on the business side. Something that maybe you don't know, which is, I think is very important, if I may. There is a guy, a research company leader, in 09, who made a study on the value of the assets in companies. And they added the assets of the five other S&P uh, companies, and they came with one number, all the assets. Mm. In fact, they didn't come with one number, with two. They separate between the tangible and the intangible. Mm. And for the first time ever, in 09, the cumulative worth of all the intangible assets in all the companies was bigger, was higher than mm. the tangible, which means that uh, you know, trademarks or mm. training programs and all that are worth more than uh, factories and, uh, and stocks. Mm. It was a big thing. Now, what you don't even know, maybe you know, sorry, but that trend has been accelerating so much that it's close to 75 or 80 percent. Mm. And what's even more important to know, in the intangible assets are the most important, and inside the intangible, brand is first. Mm. So our job, and I want to insist on that, our job is not only, it's very important to help selling the goods and the products for our clients shorter, but our job is as well to give more value to what's becoming more and more the number one asset. And the best way to do that is to add substance to these brands, to add value through big brand ideas. Mm. So what Lee has been thinking for 20 years creatively, I think is the best thinking it could be from a pure business viewpoint. Mm. Agreed. So you mentioned a few of them, but what's your favorite TBWA campaign? And you don't have to say something from this office. I mean, what's your, what's your favorite uh, TBWA campaign? Well, it, it, it's impossible to, not to answer Apple, but I will not, I will not say 1984 or something different. I used to love, really love the uh, Mac versus PC. Mm. 66 of them, 66, 66 of each one. Yeah. And each one of them was great, and you were waiting for the next one. It was like a series, you know. It's been elected the best campaign of the decade from 2010. It was fantastic. So that's from America, but we are not only in America. So you asked me about another one from another country. Uh, we should put it on the television one day because you have to watch it because I'll look at it on YouTube tonight. It's because it's, very, it's impossible to describe. It's so beautiful. It's for Sony PlayStation. It's called Double Life. It's a commercial we've done 15 years ago in London. And it's the story of a, of a young guy. He's a bus driver during the day. And during the night, he's playing on PlayStation. And he's got a real life. That's Double Life. That is real life. And what he does during the night is incredible. But the film is is difficult to you, you have a voice which is like a poem. This guy is talking at the first person, but it's like a pure poem. And you have 25 different faces. I mean, it's difficult to explain. It's, it's no, a good it's job. It's a poetic heart cell. <laughs> I mean, it's mind-boggling. It's the most beautiful commercial I've ever seen. So I, I would work It's called Double Life, Double Life. Sunny PlayStation. Look at it tonight on your YouTube. Excellent. All right, well, we come to the, the final part of uh, the program where you offer some advice. So first, we, we may have some brand managers here, some clients, but we know clients listen. We've seen the data. 
So what's, what's one piece of advice you would give to a client, to a brand manager today, one piece of advice? One and a half. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, uh, two things. Uh, Steve Jobs again, used to meet the agency every Wednesday from 10 to 12. Every week. That shows how much he believes in what we do. But you could imagine that maybe from a CMO, not a CEO, and a CMO of a company who's having 50 products. He had two or three products to sell at the time. Why he did not? Because it was a way for him not to always push the envelope, to ask for more. You cannot come every week with the same old thing, you know? So I think it's, I believe, first, there is a talent of the creative. But I believe the fact that they had that rhythm, that pace, mm. made a lot yeah, yeah. to the story. So, uh, if I would be a CMO who wants to take, uh, it's not maybe your question, we want to take advantage of the best way of, to take the best out of ourselves, mm. I would recommend to do that kind of thing. You know? Weekly meeting. I don't know if it's weekly mm. or if it's daily or if it's real time or it's once a month, but you know, to. A rhythm, you know, a steady absolutely. rhythm. Absolutely. I mean, I, mean and, and I know for sure, but I've seen that for other clients, when you do that, you have a better output each time. Yeah. The other thing I'd like to say, which is more difficult, is that I'm very sad about the fact that in this country, who invented marketing, mm. the CMO position is not seen as the way it should be in companies. Mm. Yeah, you know, the, the, the turnover is incredible. You know, they stay in the job less than 24 months. They are not on the executive committee. When at the end of the day, the job of marketing is to, is to define growth, mm. except acquisition. Yeah. So nothing's more important. And to add to those uh, intangible assets. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're a young brand man, you can't mm. do that. But I think you should be obsessed if you're in marketing in how you can make marketing uh, more understood and more respected mm. and more supported in the company where you are because there are very few companies. And it's important. Why I'm saying that? Because we are the supplier of that guy. So if this guy is not highly regarded, <laughs> we can't be highly regarded. So that's, that's the advice I would give. All right, final question. What's, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting out? We, our, our interns have started. We've got people who just graduated from university who've started in the agency. What's one piece of advice for someone starting out in our business? And by the way, there are people here, maybe they, they want to re-engineer their careers or reignite their careers. What's, what's a piece of advice? That's the last question. That's it. So, uh, so one and a half, one small. We are in the business of ideas. And ideas don't come from nowhere. You know, it comes from a, a better understanding of the uh, culture we are in, a better understanding of the people we are talking to. And to understand that, to have insight about all these things, there is only one way, to be curious. Curiosity. Be curious. No more. Do many different things. Do what Steve Jobs said. Try something. Try something else. You don't know why you've done that, but one day the dots will reconnect. I mean, curiosity. Eclectism. You said that? Eclectism. eclectism. To be eclectic. Mm. All this, it's very important. You know, curious, curious. Because you never know where the ideas are coming from. It's always coming from somewhere, and the more curious you are, the more chances you get to find mm. some ideas. And talking about ideas, I will come to my last point, which is something, you will believe I'm saying that to be nice, because it's nice to say, but it's very sincere. Mm. I really believe that you have the creative people, but, and they have a fantastic job, and I love them, and they know that, and I know you know, but at the same time, everybody is creative. Everybody can be creative, everybody can be an entrepreneur, everybody can be mm. disruptive. Troy often quotes, uh, what's his name, Gandhi, 
mm. who said, be the change you want to see in the world. I love that quote because we've been discussing before. We have so many challenges in this world, not only in business, again, environmental, social, everything. So we have to change. And the change we need in the world today are huge. You know, we are living through tough periods, believe me, as you know. And those changes will happen if companies, NGOs, governments, associations, everybody's working together collectively. But at the same time, if each one of you, all the young people here, each one of you believe that you can bring something to the party, and you can. Don't be shy. No, seriously, I, I, I mm. can't insist more. You know, the last sentence in my book, sorry to quote myself, is uh, all of us should give life and uh, let grow. What's inside of them is disruptive. I really believe that. You are all disruptors, you are all creative. All of you, trust yourself, don't be shy, and help the world to be a better world. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. thank you for disrupting uh, and you know thank you for all you've done for our company thank you for what you've done uh, for our business and uh, personally thank you for being an inspiration being my friend thank so you thank you thank you everyone there is something Rob doesn't know or we forgot is that we are celebrating last month or next month the fact we've been working 20 years together so let's drink about that You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shite Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashiteday.ny.com.